Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at, at Hillside, and I just want to... Oh, hi. And I just want to add my welcome to those maybe that you have already received this morning. Um, so, uh, more snow, eh? I mean, it's like there's snow, and then there isn't snow, and there's snow, and there's another snow. Um, change, seasons change so fast. It's like, uh, it, it, you know, you feel like you can miss them by blinking. But, but I mean, that's just how we order things. It's how we mark time. It's how we, it's how we, how we sort of, yeah, it's how we mark time and we, we recognize the different seasons as they come. Um, so it is, though, with the, with the church calendar. Right? Some of you might be aware, some of you might not be aware that we all also have a, a church calendar, a liturgical calendar that... that um, we follow and that some churches follow to varying degrees. Um, in, in fact, there are some seasons, though, of the church calendar, particularly because, you know, the rest of the world, even many of our, our atheist or agnostic friends would, would sort of celebrate these seasons with us. So we, we tend to pay attention to those a little bit more easily, um, even if sometimes we kind of miss the point in doing so. Uh, but there are other seasons that tend to escape us. And, and we actually just passed a, a, a changing of seasons this past week. For some of you might be aware of that. Um, and as I tend to be a little bit kind of subversively liturgical, I, I asked Derwin if he would mind. Um, if, if, if just sort of before we, we, we break open the word this morning, um, I'm going to be talking from... Ecclesiastes chapter 3, just so you know. But uh, I wanted to take a few minutes, and rather than just talk briefly about the season that we're just going into, like I sometimes do from time to time, I wanted to take a, a few minutes and just do a bit of an overview of the whole church calendar. So for those of you who are from more liturgical church backgrounds, or if they're, you know, those of you who come from Catholic backgrounds or Orthodox Anglican, uh, Lutheran, things of that nature. This will be sort of old hat to you, or at least familiar to you. Um, but for those of you who are new to church, um, or maybe you just sort of spent all of your growing up time in, uh, you know, all of the time that you spent in the church has been spent in, you know, evangelical traditions or Anabaptist traditions. You know, this might be new to you. So um, let's let's uh, let's talk briefly about uh, the church calendar as we have it. Um, the first season of the church calendar, does anybody know what it is? Advent is the, is the, is the first season of the church calendar. Advent is typically, um, it's represented by the liturgical color uh, blue. I need to get to the beginning of my line here. But I, 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 it's represented typically by the liturgical color blue. And it's a season... Um, that begins uh, four Sundays before Christmas. And it's a season where we celebrate, well, maybe celebrate isn't the right word, but at any rate, we acknowledge um, our need for, uh, uh, we acknowledge our need for a Savior. We acknowledge the fact that, um, that, that we, we, we mark with Israel 
the need for a, a savior as they anticipated the coming of a Messiah. We also uh, spend that time in preparation for that season's Easter. And, but it's also a time when we look forward to the coming of the savior that is yet to come. So it's basically a, a season of, it's traditionally a fasting season, but it's a kind of joyous, expectant fasting, a joyous, expectant mourning as we look forward to the coming of the Messiah, that year and, and the ultimate coming of the Messiah, right? So um, Advent. Um, it, and, and the funny thing about Advent is sometimes we have a tendency to gloss over it a little bit too. Um, we, like the, we like the gifts of Christmas. We like the, we like the um, you know, the the warm feelings and the hearth and home and that kind of thing about it. Um, and so sometimes we have a tendency to, to gloss over it. And it's kind of ironic too in some ways um, because in a season where we're supposed to be looking at, we're supposed to be looking at our need of a savior and our, our, our need of, of Jesus um, and, and too often our our all-too-consumer-driven culture is, is telling us to look uh, toward our need for new phones, new shoes, new, you know, stuff, right? But it, it's good for our souls to take time and to remember our need for a Savior. Um, the season that immediately follows it, it's a relatively short season, the season of Christmas. And... Uh, Anybody, anybody know how long the Christmas season is? It's relatively short. Even if you think you don't know how long it is, you know. Yeah, 12 days, right? So it's 12 days long. Um, and it's a season in which we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. The, it's the season where we celebrate the incarnation, the idea that God so loved that he gave, that God so loved that he came, that God thought that God loved you so deeply, that God loved me so deeply that he came. And that's a season, it's a feast season. It's a, you know, bring on the pipers piping and partridges and pear trees because I think that's something worth celebrating. Um, and so after the season of, of, of Christmas, um, we land at Epiphany. It's a, a particular day called Epiphany, but the season that follows it, sometimes we call it, um, you know, the season of Epiphany or Sundays after Epiphany, depending on your tradition. Um, liturgical, traditional liturgical color for, for that season is green. And um, depending on where Easter's gonna fall that year, um, it can be anywhere between um, three and uh, three and, and eight weeks. But during the season of Epiphany, um, what we tend to, to focus on and what we, what we celebrate as a, as a body is, is we, we, we celebrate God as revealed to us in the earth, earthly ministry of Jesus. So we focus in on the life of Jesus and on his ministries of teaching and of healing. And, and, we, and we celebrate what it is that that reveals to us about, about God. Jesus is God come to us. 
And so we celebrate that, that together in Epiphany, in the season of Epiphany. But um, just this past week, the season of Epiphany actually ended. Um, you know, on Tuesday was the last day of Epiphany. Some of you maybe got your pancake on, you know, Pancake Tuesday, that's the, that's the last day of Epiphany. And then Ash Wednesday represents the beginning of a new season. And that new season is the season of Lent. And so that's actually, that's actually the season that we're in, we're in right now. So um, during the season of, of Lent, again, that's typically a, a, a fasting season. And during that fasting season, the season of Lent, uh, we, what we do is, is we take that time and we use it as, a, as, a, seer, as a, a season of very intentional, very deliberate discipleship. And so we, it's a time to re-engage uh, spiritual disciplines, to, to redouble our, 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 our efforts in, in scripture reading and memorization and in prayer, and, and most typically and most closely associated with um, the season of, of Lent is, is fasting. Um, I mean, sometimes our fasting misses, misses the point a little bit. Um, you know, we, we decide that we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to give up sugar for Lent or we're going to give up social media for Lent. And, and, and sometimes we, we do that and we sort of use this as sort of a, a, a springboard for, for sort of personal betterment, for self-improvement. Um, but in reality, you know, the, the purpose of fasting is about denying self. It's about putting self aside and focusing on the things of God. Now, fasting can be something that really helps us to do that as we sort of teach ourselves, you know, we're teaching our bodies to sort of take a joke, right? We're teaching ourselves to, 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 to allow our, even our earthly hungers and desires to point us to Jesus, right? So that's the, that's the, that's the, the season of Lent. Um, the traditional liturgical color for, for that season is purple. And then, um, technically a part of Lent, um, the last week of Lent, though, is, is kind of usually set aside as, as something a little different. Um, it's, it's Holy Week. Or, or, again, depending on your tradition, you might know it as Passion Tide. But basically, the idea is that it uh, commemorates the last week of, 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 Jesus, of Jesus before he, he went to the cross. Um, so it begins traditionally on Palm Sunday uh, with a celebration of the tri- Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem <coughs> and then um, goes on throughout the week to uh, refer to those different aspects of, of his, his, his life culminating in, in his death on the cross. And traditionally, the liturgical color for that week is either black or no color at all um, as, we, as, we celebrate, um, as we celebrate Christ's work in that, that, last, that last week. And then, the big party, okay? After that, we, we look at Easter. Now, f- for us, for, for, uh, 
those of us who are evangelicals, we tend to think of Easter as, uh, as just a single day. But, I mean, for those who come from more liturgical tradition, Easter is a big deal, man. You can't fit all that celebrating of new life into a single day. So it's like, it's six weeks. It's this big, huge deal where they celebrate new life. New life. New life. And the resurrection and what that represents for us as followers of Jesus. But then after, I mean, if you, if you know the story of, 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 of Jesus and you've read through the Gospels um, or you've heard people talk about it, you know that after Jesus rose from the dead, he, he walked for a while among people. And, and, and then after a while, he said, you know, actually, I've, I've got to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. And his disciples said, what? You know, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't fit with with the plan, you're the Messiah. So the idea is now that you're resurrected and you know, you know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to do what Messiahs are supposed to do. You're supposed to uh, liber- liberate us from Rome and you're supposed to do all of the, and Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing it here. It's actually better for you if I go. And, and the disciples, what, what, what could possibly be, be better than having Jesus right here. Well, I mean, they were to find out pretty soon because right after that, they discovered that better than Jesus, having Jesus right there is having Jesus inside, having Jesus within. And so we have this, this very short season, um, this very short season called Pentecost, And while the, the traditional liturgical color for, for um, Easter is white, the liturgical color for, for Pentecost is, is red. Um, it's a very short season. Um, one, one, one Sunday, actually. Just one Sunday where we, where we actually mark, um, where, where we mark that the occasion where the, the spirit descended and the church was born, Right? as the Spirit came, came to, to the disciples of God. And then we have the whole rest of the year that uh, sometimes we, we call it, um, oh, chiefers. Peter, could you come here for a second? We have the, this, the, the, we've got this whole season then um, that's called Pentecost, or sometimes we, we refer to it as, as uh, Sundays after Pentecost. We're gonna flip it right over, like just halfway over there you go, right? So Sunday's after Pentecost, and, and the whole idea behind that is, is, is in, in, our, in, our, in our worship, what we're doing is we're exploring what it means to be a people of the Spirit, what it means to be a body together, what it means to be a church, what it means to, to, to live out um, as a church in our community and to embody Christ to a broken world. And so we have, uh, we have that whole season that really is almost half of the, the liturgical year is, is, Pente- is this season after Pentecost. And within that, there are, some, there are certain feast days that, uh, you know, again, depending on your tradition, you will acknowledge to, to varying degrees, like you've got, you've got Trinity Sunday, which is the first Sunday there, and then you got 
you got uh, you got All Saints Sunday about here, and then um, at the very end, the very last Sunday of the church calendar, boom, Christ the King Sunday, where we celebrate the fact that in and over all of this stuff, Christ is King. Um, so that's just a, a quick sort of overview of the, of the seasons of the church calendar. Um, but we come to this passage, we come now to a passage in Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to be speaking from chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Um, and, and it's actually a, it's actually about, kind of about seasons. Um, so if you prefer to follow along, um, Ecclesiastes, it's about halfway through the Bible. Um, if you're in the Psalms, you're not quite there yet. If you get to Isaiah, you're a little too far. Um, yeah, but if you, feel, if you want to follow along, feel free to do that. There are some uh, Bibles you can borrow if you, if you want to borrow a Bible. We can hook you up. Um, otherwise, you can just feel free to just listen too. Uh, but whether or not you're following along or just listening, I, I just for the next minute or two, I just want to urge you to be attentive, to give your absolute best energy to the next couple of minutes because we're about to read the word of God, okay? So please stand if you're able for the scripture reading. Again, I'm gonna begin at Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one. (coughs) There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet... They cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been. And whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Um, <clears throat> traditionally, we, we understand the, that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. Now, Solomon was known for his, his wisdom. Um, and this was written toward the end of his life. Um, 
word of warning, if you're, if you're going to go home and, and read this, it's not a particularly cheery book. You should know this. Um, it, it, it seems as though by this point in his life, uh, Solomon had kind of seen it all and, and had become a little curmudgeonly. Um, you know, the, the recurring theme that you find in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You know, or depending on your translation, futility or vanity. But, but here is Solomon toward the end of a, a long life, and, and a life which I should add that by any earthly measurement was extremely successful. Um, you know, he had money, he had power, he had fame. He had it all, most people would have said. But nonetheless, this is about Solomon's realization that all of these things that so many of us spend so much energy chasing, it's his realization that all of these things ultimately are kind of hollow. He concludes really that the only thing to do is to, to pursue God and his kingdom, to obey him, and to enjoy ourselves as best we can as we're doing it. But in the midst of it all, we, we have this one little section where Solomon talks about seasons of life and about the presence of God and the sovereignty of God throughout it all. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's, let's take a little look. Um, there's a time for everything, Solomon says, a season for every activity under heaven. Sums it all up sort of in this first verse. But he's not satisfied, and he goes on and lists all sorts of pairs of opposites and acknowledges that there are times, that there, there will be times, that there will be seasons that, that are characterized by all of these things. And whether these, these are, are things or seasons that, that we have chosen for ourselves or that we have sort of taken on, or whether they're seasons that have been visited upon us, that have been thrust upon us, if we live long enough, these things will all, they will all swim into our ken at some point. At least figuratively, if not, if not literally. But these are bright times and dark times. These are seasons of, 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 of feasting and seasons of fasting, seasons of plenty and seasons of want. And, and even today, I mean, I'm sure if we were to canvas the room in a group this size, I wouldn't be surprised to find, um, you know, most or even all of these seasons that, that, that Solomon lists represented here. I mean, surely in this room there is at least someone who's experiencing a season of mourning. And I'm sure that there's at least someone in this room that's experiencing a season of dancing. Someone who is feeling like they're in a season of breaking down. Others, perhaps, who are in a season of, of building up. Thank you so much, Jill. Um, seasons of, of planting or uprooting. You know, surely um, there, there would be at least someone in this, in this room who who feels like they need more than anything else just a hug or a kind word, and, and, and probably somebody else who just doesn't feel like touching or talking to anybody. You know, and we all go through all of these seasons, right? I, I, it's, it's, it's just a part of life. There are all of these seasons. There are times for all of these things. But then in verse 9, he says, what does the worker gain 
from his toil. I have seen the burden God has laid on man. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Uh, I think what the writer is saying here is that as we engage God throughout all of these seasons in life, even the dark seasons, even the, the, the difficult, painful seasons, we can have the capacity to experience beauty even in the midst of it. And I, and I don't say that to be trite. But this is particularly true, I would contend, if, if we're able to know God's presence in the midst of these seasons. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to, to, to force ourselves, um, we force ourselves into a, a happiness or even just a resignation that we don't actually feel. You know, nor does it mean that we're supposed to kind of pretend that we can see the hand of God where we can't see that yet. I mean, I know that I have people in my life who have a capacity for seeing the hand of God in the most difficult situations that I only wish I had. It's actually quite remarkable. But he, it, we're, we're, the idea isn't that we, we, try to, we, try to, we kind of work ourselves up into this sort of pseudo-spiritual lather, but it rather has to do with inviting God into our own brokenness and inviting God into um, the brokenness of our situations and inviting God into the brokenness of our world and of our neighbors and of the people around us. And in, in the midst of that, even in our brokenness, we can find the beauty of God. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of a, a, a Leonard Cohen song. Some of you might know a Leonard Cohen song called Anthem. And the chorus, of the, the chorus of the song goes like this. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. And that's how the light gets in. What's more, Solomon says that though God has, has placed eternity in our hearts, we will likely never completely understand everything about the workings, the, 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 the mysterious ways of a God who knows all. And that all we can do sometimes is just is trust in the wisdom and in the loving heart of a God who holds all eternity. And sometimes that's all we can do for friends around us who maybe can't even do that themselves. I mean, thus community. We gather to hold each other up. Then verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. This is the advice of a old, very wise man who has seen pretty much all there was to see of life. And his advice is to make the best of whatever situation we can. I had a spiritual director once um, who, who was advising me in a, a season that was very dark. Um, it was a difficult situation that I was in. <coughs> And uh, his advice to me was, Lincoln, bless anything 
that brings you into greater dependence on Jesus. And I, I remember at the time wanting to smack him. Uh, but I can only say that it's true. I mean, that's, that's been my experience. Bless anything that brings you into greater dependence on Jesus. And in the midst of good situations too, um, you might not, you may, I mean, maybe this isn't an issue for you. Maybe this is just me. Uh, but I have, yes, I have issues. Uh, I remember a particular time during a, a really good season I was going through. Um, and I had this anxiety um, so it, was like, it was rooted in a couple of things. <clears throat> um, part of it, I think, stems from, from a, a worry that oh, things are going so good that when's the shoe going to drop? You know, like, this has got to end sometime, you know, because things were, you know, they were great at home and my work was great and my spiritual life felt, you know, things were, were sort of really clicking and, and I was just kind of, something's got something's to go wrong here. Um, and, and so I, w- I, was, I was caught up in that. And part of it, too, I think my concern was that things were going so well, and I was so wrapped up in all of it, um, that there was a part of me that was concerned that if God was calling me into something new, I wouldn't hear it, because I was too busy having fun. And I remember confessing this concern, these concerns, to again, this, this same spiritual director. And, and, and he, he, I, he didn't actually say, give yourself a shake, Lincoln. But, but in his eyes, I could see that. And he, and he told me, he said, Lincoln, don't let the devil steal your joy. These seasons are a gift from God. He said, they might not last, but while they're here, they're a gift from God for you. So enjoy them. God is sovereign in all of this. Look to him and enjoy it. And then in verse 14, the writer says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been Whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. The, the, what the writer is calling us to do is, is, is trust. Trust beyond what seems natural. And the, and the kind of trust for which the writer is advocating here is, is firmly rooted in the idea that in the midst of it all, that God is con- in control. That God is in control no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the season of life, that no matter what we're going through, God is still in control. And so in those seasons of my life where I'm looking and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm, I'm so broken and I'm in such dire need of a savior. You know, I look at the I look at the sadnesses in my own heart. I look at, at, at um, brokennesses that just don't seem to want to 
to, to heal. I look at sin that just doesn't seem to want to dissipate in my own life. And I think, oh man, do I ever need a savior? Or even if I look around in my world and I see war and I see hunger and I see strife and I see another school shooting that makes me want to scream and I say, oh Lord, does our world need a savior? In those seasons where I'm acutely aware of our world's need for a Messiah, God nonetheless is in control in that season in my life. And in seasons in my life where I feel, I feel the presence of God, I feel like God has come, God is with me. I feel, I feel like, <clears throat> I feel that the undeniability of the incarnation in those situations and in those seasons of life, God is in control. And when uh, I, I'm going through seasons of my spiritual journey where I feel like I'm, God is revealing himself to me and I'm getting new insights into who God is and I'm learning more and more about who God is as he reveals himself to me as I study who he is. God is in control in those situations. But just as real... Just as real in those situations where in spite of my, my best work, in spite of my strongest efforts in discipleship, my, my prayers just feel like they're hitting the ceiling. And, and I read scripture and it just seems like words on a page. But that, not, none of that alters the fact that God is yet in control. And there are seasons even where I look around and it just seems, it seems that God is dead. The fact that God is in control is not contingent on whether or not I feel it. And even in those seasons where it feels like God is dead, God is yet in control. And in seasons where there's new life, in seasons where I feel like, 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 God, is, like God is doing new work in me and, and God is doing new work in, in, in and amongst my friends and, and, and in my, my faith community and I'm feeling, I'm feeling the new life and I, and, it, and, it, and I like the way it feels. That is gift, that's gift to me. God is in that and God is in control. And as God reveals himself through his Holy Spirit and he pours out um, power and he pours out um, signs and wonders and we can experience him in those ways, God is in control. God is in control. And through the, the long, arduous in-betweens, the long, arduous in-betweens where where we're, we're, we're figuring out what it is. We're doing our best anyway to figure it out what it is to do life and to do church together. And we sort out all of the complicated, and we're trying to sort out all of the complications of what does it mean to, to be a part of, of church community and what does it mean, uh, you know, to, to do church alongside those people that, that, that are maybe not easy to do church alongside of. That in the midst of all of that, 
and throughout, the, throughout all of the seasons of life that Christ is king. And he's in control of all things. And, and, and part of that is what we've gathered to celebrate, what we gather to celebrate every time we gather together. And it's what we celebrate as we come to the table. I mean, I'm going to invite you to come forward in, in a moment and, and just ask you to remember again that the, the aisles are narrow, so you know, try to leave room for people to kind of go the directions that they need to go. But um, uh, we practice open communion here, which just means that you don't have to be a member or, or whatever to, to partake. If you love Jesus and you long to love him more, you are, you are more than welcome to, to partake in communion here. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that, that uh, he took bread. And having given, thanks, he, having, having given thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul goes on to say later on that as often as we do this, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup in that manner, we, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes again. And in coming again makes all things well. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, we can know that Christ is Lord as we gather and celebrate around the table. We gather we, and celebrate the fact that we were acutely aware of our need for a Savior and that, and that Jesus Christ came as a baby. He took on our flesh. He was incarnated and that he, he lived a life on earth, that he was crucified, he died and was buried that he rose again on the third day, that we have new life in him, that he sent his spirit to indwell us and to, and to equip us to be his representatives and to be his church in the world. And so we gather and we do that together today as we celebrate communion. Brothers and sisters, this is something we do with seriousness because this is, this is no joke, but it's something that we do with so much joy because it's Christ himself who meets us here. So brothers and sisters, come and partake. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Do come and partake.